Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we start talking to Marley, I wanted to drop in with one little note here. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast. We are going to have a segment called Nourished on the Run with Ellie Kempton, the dietitian that many of you know. It's a new segment and we would love your thoughts on it and it will definitely be helpful. I can promise you that. So stick around after we're done talking to Marley. Welcome to Many Happy Miles, a podcast that celebrates all types of forward movement, whether it's a swim in the ocean, a bike ride to the store, or a brisk walk after a setback. We're here to say yay to it all and bring on guests to inspire you to move with joy. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wassner Flynn, and I'm saying yay to bike weather. It's almost summer. It is summer right now. And it's time to get those bikes out, right? It is. It is. Well, either inside or outside. And I have a little story for you, Sarah. So this morning, I'm still riding inside, especially on the weekday mornings when it's hard to get outside and still get home at a reasonable hour. So anyway, so my plan was this morning, I have strength for many happy miles from 630 to 7 my time. Mm -hmm. Last week, I was a pro. I got up at like 5.15. I was on my bike by 5.30, slid into that strength session, and I was done. And I felt like just a million bucks, like mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen of the Meadowlands. Like I had <laughs> nailed my morning, right? Mm-hmm. And so this morning I was like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. And um, of course I didn't because that's, you know, as soon as I have expectations, usually mm-hmm. that's when things go awry. Of so course. I didn't get up until uh, I, I made the strength at 630. So that was the beginning of my workout. And then I was going to get on the bike. And, you know, we use Zwift, both Grant and I use Zwift, which is like a bike biking game, a video mm-hmm. game in uh, quotation marks. But it attaches to our smart trainer so that, you know, when you climb the hill, the trainer makes it feel like you're climbing the hill. When you descend, you get a little bit easier and it, you know, records a whole bunch of different stuff. Mm -hmm. But we both have a Zwift account. You cannot share a Zwift account. And so I have the very old iPad. He has the iPad that we gave him for a birthday a couple of years ago. Anyway, so I was trying to get mine set up and it is a little bit of time to get it all set up. I could not connect the Bluetooth to save my life. And you know how frustrating that is? Oh, yeah. I've been there. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I'm like, you know, and I'm watching my watch and I'm like, okay, this has been 25 minutes and I'm like unplugging the thing. And then I'm, you know, restarting my iPad and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And meanwhile... I never thought I would do this. As, as soon as you judge somebody about something, like then mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? You're gonna end up doing it. <laughs> this <laughs> was judge? Call, I call, well, I can't remember who I judged, but I'm always like, oh, it's so lazy. Just like call someone instead of like go go get them in the house, right? If you're in the same house, uh-huh. I was in the basement. Grant's on the you know up on the second floor showering and stuff. I called him three times to come help me. <laughs> Did not pick up once. <laughs> I mean, you had your bike shoes on, right? I did have my bike shoes on. That, and he is going up two that is of always like the impediment yeah. to me when I'm in the basement. I'm like, I just don't feel like going upstairs with my bike shoes on. So somebody needs to come down here and help. I mean, I've help definitely me. been there before. Yes. Yeah. And, and I can't yell because he's, I mean, Grant wears hearing aids and um, he, you know, they, they work great. I mean, they're amazing. Those Bluetooth always works and usually he gets the calls <laughs> in them, which is oh. why I'm like, why are you not freaking picking up the phone? Um, He was in the shower and everything. So finally I called Ben, <laughs> who is still in the house. I can hear him tromping around. I'm like, is dad at home still? Like, are the dogs home? Is he walking the dog? So he goes to get Ben 
or he goes to get Grant. Grant comes down to help me. Turns out that Grant's iPad was still like hooked up to Zwift. So which is a long way of saying kind of a boring story is I'm really Mm -hmm. glad that I didn't get up at five and try to make it work then because you know how angry I would be if I like roused myself and Mm -hmm. it couldn't get it to work. And you're there with all the motivation and it's just technology standing in your way. And then that's frustrating because it's like, why can't I ride? Why can't I do a workout without technology? Exactly. Right? I'm I'm just going to watch my heart rate. It's going to be fine. And then I'm like, oh, but it's there is something, you know, when you're hooked up like to Zwift, it is a little bit smoother, right? Like it's not just like clunk, 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 you know, when you're changing gears. And then you have like the instant data, the feedback, like, I don't know, once you're in that zone, you want that. Versus yes. just like getting on your trainer and riding. You know, yes, 100%. I'm with you on that. I mean, I've been there with <laughs> calling, oh. calling me like blaming, instantly blaming other people too. That's oh, my yeah. favorite thing to do. I'm like, no, this is this is my fault. But still, it's somebody else's fault. And I need to fix that. I mean, maybe it was Grant's fault for not uh, turning it off. The, he did, yeah, a, he did apologize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I... I didn't get angry. I just said, okay. I said, well, what, you know, just let me know like how to turn it off so that when this happens next time, I know how to fix it. I'm trying right. to be, you know, much more calm and collected instead That's of being like, good. oh my God. You <laughs> you know, so. so after 20 something minutes, did you actually get on the bike once you figured I did, it out? I did. Well, yeah. so yeah, we're going to talk with Marley Blonsky in just a minute. And our time to talk to her was nine o'clock. I finished my ride at 840. Swug some cho- swug. That's a word. Swug some <laughs> chocolate milk. Um, made a, a a latte, and then got set up. Oh, good, good for you. Yeah. I am very envious of your morning. That's super productive. Much more productive than me just trying to hit deadlines for work. So <laughs> hopefully, I'll get my chance to be on a, a bike or on a run or something sometime soon today. Yeah, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. Well, and that's the thing is, I was of course when that's happening, I'm like you know kind of flipping through my head like, okay, if this does, if I can't get this to work this morning like when am I going to do this today or what's my Mm -hmm. plan B because I took yesterday as a very a very true rest day and I know myself well enough that I just needed to get I needed to get some blood flowing I needed some aerobic Mm -hmm. exercise yeah that was me last night too I was like I rested on Sunday I had this hamstring thing I gave it another day and then yesterday I was like it's so nice out I need to get outside for my mental health for my physical health and I had this gorgeous sunset run. I felt like I was like at a resort, even though I was in my neighborhood because the sunset was so gorgeous and it smelled like honeysuckle and it just put oh. me in such a good mood to like end the end the day on. Yes, um, we had yes. like dinner outside, like I said, with the weather turning, it's just been my my mood's lifting because I love summer and you know, before it gets too hot and humid and we complain about that. This is a perfect <laughs> time. There's no bugs. It's just really nice. But that run really like was helpful for me. So Yes. Agreed, agreed. And getting that bike back out too. I'm going to dust it off and and get everything fixed on it and start cycling again outside. I'm excited for that. There you go. Well, we've got the perfect guest for you today then. Great. Today's guest is a game changer in the cycling arena and in the realm of women's athletics in general. Marley Blonsky is an Arkansas-based adventurer, advocate, and dog mom. She loves all kinds of biking, gravel rides, bike packing, commuting, and riding around town with her dogs in her cargo bike. She's also one of the co-founders of All Bodies on Bikes, a nonprofit which strives to make the bike and outdoor industry more inclusive. To quote part of the mission statement of All Bodies on Bikes, Quote, we are working to change the bike industry. We believe that anyone who wants to ride a bike should be able to, regardless of their size or weight. We are creating inclusive bike communities from the inside. So cool. And she's also co-host, I guess, of a podcast of the same name, All Bodies on Bikes. Wanted to put that out there. We can't wait to chat with Marley. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So Marley, let's start with you giving us a glimpse into your athletic background. Have you always been a cyclist or did that start more recently in life? Oh man, I wish you could see like kind of the laugh on my face because I never know how to answer this. Um, I grew up like a lot of kids in the 90s riding bikes everywhere. You know, we spent all of our time outside. I used to ride my bike to school. And then I think as I got into high school and college, I kind of left it behind. I played other sports, um, always like a C-squad or JV athlete. I've just never been <laughs> very can competitive. Relate. I'm laughing because I can relate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like my senior year of high school, if you were a senior, you basically automatically got put on varsity. And I remember talking to the coach and being like, I want to just play for fun. 
is it okay if I play on JV? And they were like, we never thought you'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> what what sport was that, Marley? Uh, that was softball, slow oh, pitch okay. softball. Yeah. So I played slow pitch and fast pitch and volleyball and basketball, uh, competitive swimming. I was just always a very busy, active kid, but never necessarily very good at it, you know, in terms of competition or performance or uh, any of that. But cycling came back into my life about 10 years ago. I was living in Seattle and my life kind of fell apart. I was freshly married. We were trying to have a child. It really felt like my life was just kind of off to the the American dream start. And then my partner had a crazy affair and everything that I was working towards and, you know, thought was going on got thrown out the window. You know, looking back, it was very much a blessing in disguise because at 27, I still had so much of my life ahead of me and had kind of, you know, resolved myself to just being a partner and a wife and not really, none of this was happening, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So after we broke up, I found myself living in a very dense part of Seattle where driving a car didn't make sense. I started taking the bus to work and it was about two miles to work. I probably should have and could have walked it. But one theme throughout my life is I'm kind of lazy. Even now, like <laughs> I'll go ride a hundred miles. But if it's like, I need to, I don't know, clean out my shed, I won't do it. Uh, <laughs> Relatable. So I took the bus. I'm the same yeah, way. Yeah. It's not laziness. Maybe it's just priorities. Yeah. Uh, so I was taking the bus and it was taking like 45 minutes to go two miles. And like I said, you know, I was 27, kind of looking around, figuring out who I was, who I wanted to be. And I saw a lot of folks riding bikes and that really intrigued me. So I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of cycling and started out as a commuter and then really just kind of found myself, found strength in my body and in my brain, found a new sense of freedom and bikes kind of took over my life. <laughs> and it has been a an adventure ever since then. Love it. I love it. Well, that's a great, I mean, I'm sorry that you had to go through all the downs to get to the ups, but I like, that's a great origin story. You know, Thank you. This, this, this moment and this movement actually. So was there a moment or maybe moments that made you think like, we need more inclusivity on bikes. I heard you use the term big babes on your <laughs> All Bodies on Bikes podcast. I hope that's not offensive, but no, I, I not at all. liked it. Um, I, I self-identify as fat. Okay. I just use it as a neutral descriptor of my body. Um, you know, I was made fun of a lot as a kid, kind of always felt like an outsider for being the biggest kid in class or on the team or in my family, whatever. And so now that I've kind of reclaimed that word, uh, it doesn't hold any power over me anymore, if that makes sense. Totally. (laughs) So, oh gosh, what were we talking about? Oh, a moment. So I kind of had little, I guess, sparks is what I like to call it of, Mm -hmm. hey, things could be different. You know, whether it was going to the bike shop and looking for clothing and not finding anything in my size or breaking um, like spokes on my wheels because I was over the weight limit. I kind of had just little barriers or little frustrations that I would run into. And I had gone on a bike camping trip and I was waiting on the ferry. And anytime you get on the ferry with a fully loaded bicycle, people are curious. You know, they start asking questions. And I remember this one woman said, well, how do you do it? You know, you're, you're big, like, isn't that hard? And it was kind of this light bulb moment of, oh, I guess this is kind of unique and interesting that I am a 250 pound woman doing this bike adventuring that you don't typically see. And so then I just kind of started putting the puzzle pieces together. I had been doing a lot of bike advocacy for bike lanes and safer streets in Seattle. And I was incredibly frustrated, you know, just uh, waiting in line to talk to city council to beg for my life for a safe bike lane. I just, I didn't like it. But I realized I had this passion. I had these advocacy toolkit that I had gone through training for. I could advocate for size inclusion, which was super important to me and would truly make a difference in my day-to-day life. So that all started coming together five or six years ago. Started doing workshops and panel presentations and writing for magazines. Just, hey, we're out here. We need the equipment. You know, my friend Kaylee was actually my friend and co-founder. Kaylee was riding her bike across Alaska on a sponsored trip and did not have a raincoat that fit. And so that was kind of another light bulb moment of I'm not the only one, you know, you always have that kind of, um, I don't know, 
thought of like, well, maybe I'm just bad at Googling or maybe I'm just bad at shopping. Uh, <laughs> bad at Googling. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're not in, and um, size is one, one aspect of we want inclusivity in the bike world, but it's not just size, right? We're Correct. talking yeah. ages and races and stuff as well. Exactly. Yeah. So it really started with size inclusion. And then as I met more folks and realized, you know, cycling as a sport, quote unquote, which we can talk about why I don't necessarily love that mindset. Yeah. It really caters towards one body type, high income levels, you know, folks who want to ride to go hard and fast and competition and realize there's so many other people using bikes for transportation, for fun, just to get around. And we are not, we don't have the equipment that lets us do it safely and in a way that's enjoyable. Um, so we very quickly said, all right, all bodies on bikes. That means all. That means all ages, genders, income levels, um, ability or you know physical impairment levels. So really just trying to advocate for the folks who fall outside of that norm that you typically think of when you think of cyclist. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, go back for a second. I mean, so why don't you like the term? Like, why don't you like to call cycling a sport? Oh, <laughs> uh, because it's so much more than sport. I mean, yeah. like, yes, there are people, and myself included. You know, I just did a race this past weekend. There's lots of folks who enjoy getting out there and going on a course and going a set distance and you know training and being the best they can be. But bicycles are so much more than that. You know, like I just said, their transportation, their fun, their joy, their community building, their climate action. And I think when we limit ourselves to just thinking about the sport mindset, we limit exactly that. We limit ourselves and don't yeah. we miss the power of the bicycle truly as a tool to change the world. Well, and I think it also, I mean, we're going to talk about this in a little bit because I think the intimidation level is for cycling is ridiculously high. Um, and if you call it a sport, that even like puts the peak even higher in my mind because I think of like Tour de France and really fast and really hard and, you know, and just not accessible. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I mean, even like the, we've been talking about this on earlier podcasts about what do you call like a century? And it's like, I'm not racing a century or, I mean, or even, you know, a bike ride, you know, and it's like, it's an event. It's kind of yes. it's fun. You stop, you eat, you laugh, you chat and you ride. It's an bike, adventure. You know? <laughs> yeah. An adventure. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So tell us about your newly adopted home of Bentonville, Arkansas, which you've called a bicycle Disneyland. Yeah. Has living in such a cycling-centric area helped you build all bodies on bikes? I think it was the best decision I could have made to get all bodies on bikes off the ground and really meet the potential that I think it's capable of. So for folks who don't know, Bentonville, Arkansas is the home of Walmart, which means that the Walton family is here. And it turns out the Walton heirs, I guess are the grandsons, Tom and Stuart, love bicycles. And so they have really invested in their hometown to make it a cycling destination. You know, there are hundreds of miles of trails of varying levels, you know, mountain bike trails and greenway trails. And then kind of the next step that they've been working on is bringing the cycling industry to Bentonville. So just yesterday, I got invited to an industry leader happy hour where there were CEOs and heads of all these different bike brands who are in town for an event this week. And we were all just chatting about, you know, what's going on in Bentonville, the opportunities that are here. Um, and I got to have some amazing conversations. And those kinds of things aren't happening anywhere else with such a frequency and a degree of these are the movers and shakers. This is who I need to be talking to if we truly want to make cycling as inclusive as possible. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's weird. It truly feels like Disneyland because there's bike playgrounds, there's trails, there's um, repair stands all over the place that are kept up. Yeah. It definitely feels like a bubble. It doesn't always feel like real life. But <laughs> just like Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, exactly. I think you described it perfectly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And like it's beautiful, but it's almost like a ski town for bicycles. And that's really their vision is they want somebody to be able to come to Mentonville, not really knowing anything about bikes, be able to rent a bike and, you know, take lessons, take a clinic, and then be doing whatever kind of cycling they enjoy doing. So it's really cool to kind of be a part of this vision and to see it all coming true. 
Mm-hmm. I love it. There's a woman uh, as part of our community. Her name's Kay, and she lives nearby Bentonville. I can't remember exactly the town that she lives in, but she raved about Bentonville. And then I've got two friends from Minnesota, where I'm from, and they went down there. I mean, I've heard so many good things about Bentonville. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth putting on your on your list if you're intrigued by cycling, huh? Definitely. And I mean, honestly, it's not just cycling. The rock climbing, um, the paddling sports. I legitimately had no idea Arkansas was so beautiful uh, yeah, <laughs> until I yeah. moved here. And I'm still discovering things. And it's kind of a a hidden gem. I, I don't I don't want to tell too many people about it, but it's <laughs> really beautiful down here. Yeah. Be careful. Be careful what you say. You know, it's like you don't want to give away your favorite sweet. You don't give away the powder stashes, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, like it'd be nice to get some more diversity down here. And of course, folks who ride bikes, not just for sport. That is one of, I think, the biggest challenges that I'm seeing in Bentonville is it really so far has attracted those elite performance level folks. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so it can still feel intimidating for families coming in or people just wanting to get into cycling. It's hard to figure out where you fit in. Stay with us. We'll be right back to spin some more wheels with Marley Blonsky. Well, so so you've made such great strides so far with All Bodies on Bikes. You have 11 regional chapters. You just received your official nonprofit designation, which is great. Congratulations. What do you want to see happen now? I mean, you just said you were at a, a you know industry event with CEOs of the biking industry. I mean, how do we get more inclusive, which I realize is kind of like, how do we solve climate change? But can you <laughs> kind of talk a little bit about what specific things you're looking to target right now? Yeah. So it's kind of two-faceted. Okay. So we're doing like community inclusion work. So we have 11 chapters right now, um, hopefully expanding that within the next year. And that's really kind of those personal touches, creating relationships with people and getting them out into the bike. So expanding that. And that's really kind of our bread and butter of who we are as an organization. And then there's the industry side. So having those conversations about why stronger equipment is needed, how bike shops and retailers can serve more people better. So, you know, one thing that's at the top of my list right now is getting the weight limits for equipment more prominently displayed. So right now, that's a good call. All the weight limits are like hidden deep in an owner's manual. And each company does it a little differently. There's not really a standard. So I'm trying to, you know, explain to them that, hey, the average size woman in the US wears a size 16 to 18. The average man weighs 200 pounds. Like we are not a small population and we're not getting any smaller, we need to know that this equipment is safe for us to use. So, you know, if you have a bike that's a size medium, fits 5'6 to 5'10, you know, weight limit 300 pounds or whatever that might be. And unfortunately, it's not quite that easy because there's so many different factors. You know, what wheels do you have and what type of frame is it? But I know there's a way to do it, at least on like, you know, the stock bikes that they've got on the showroom floor. So really just kind of having those conversations. I don't know if lobbying is the right word or just chatting with them and kind of showing them the movement and saying, hey, we're getting thousands of people out to our group rides. The demand is there and we are all facing the same challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of those group rides, what have you taken away as a leader of them? (laughs) <laughs> 10 miles is too far for most people. Okay. Uh, that's, that's good to know. That's good that to, is know. Good to yeah. know. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. Yeah. And I just had to put myself back in that mindset of when I was first beginning, you know, it yeah. felt like a victory to go three miles to the grocery store. Um, and I remember the first time I did a 10 mile ride, I was like, I am the queen of the world. I just biked across Seattle. So just remembering that, you know, for folks who don't live and breathe bikes every day, you know, a casual ride is a lot more casual than a lot of us think it is. So over communicating what to expect, what to bring, you know, how to safely ride in a group. Um, So just a lot of those things that I think are taken for granted when you go on shop rides or other group rides. It's just expected that you know the lingo and you know how it's going to work. And I don't think that's fair to folks who just want to ride their bikes for fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so talk a little bit. Um, like I listen, I told you when we before we got on that I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. Really enjoyed them. You and your co-host you. have a great rapport. And um, you were talking about the ride that actually. So you brought all your leaders, your leaders from your eleven chapters right now yes. down to Bentonville, is from what I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, then that's you did correct. a group ride down there, right? 
mm-hmm. um, and talk about the people that showed up because it was truly diverse. And I just, yeah, I loved it hearing it about really, it. It really felt like the first time that our vision had truly come to life. And I've led hundreds of group rides. Um, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, so a lot of the initial group rides I was doing were at gravel events. So we okay. were doing what are called shakedown rides. And so people who were signed up for the event, you know, whether it's unbound gravel or steamboat gravel or whatever, you know, they're signed up for anywhere from a 30 to a hundred mile ride the next day. And so they'd come on our ride the day before and it it didn't really feel like we were serving our intended audience. Like, yes, we were building community and folks were enjoying it and it was a nice, inclusive community. But these were folks who were already comfortable getting on bikes and showing up to an event and, you know, putting themselves out there. And our vision with All Bodies on Bikes was to kind of bring folks in that are not already part of the cycling community. And it felt like the ride we did here in Bentonville a couple weeks ago really hit that target. We had um, people on tall bikes and cargo bikes. We had people on recumbent bikes, you know, an elderly couple on recumbent bikes. We had a woman with developmental disabilities come on a tricycle with her parents. And, you know, I got a chance to chat with them after the ride. And Alana, the woman who was riding, had the best time. I was a little nervous because I hadn't ever led a group ride with somebody on a tricycle. And this was a single speed, non-electric trike. And she was at the front of the group the entire time, you know, helping us call out stopping, right turn, left turn. And her parents came up to me afterwards and they were just like, thank you so much for letting us feel like a normal day. Like this was great. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that that really kind of warmed my heart because there were families there. There was all ages. And then we just we did three miles around Bentonville and we ended with some pizza and just hung out and created some connections. That's so fun. And so when you say tall bikes, like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm picturing like the big wheel, like, like old school. circus. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it? not quite a penny farthing, but about uh-huh. that height. But basically, it's two bike frames that have been welded together. There's only one set of wheels, but they've been welded on top of each other. And so the person is probably sitting, I don't know, six to 10 feet in the air. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Like, is, is that, that a safe? Th- like, what is that? A, is that a thing? I'm going to send you a link in the chat um, okay. to see if I can find a picture. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of a punk uh, do-it-yourself types of style. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Jim and I are very <laughs> ingrained <laughs> in the cycling world and have never heard of ta- – when you said tall bikes, I was like, hmm, never like, heard of that, that one. Mean? Yeah. Um, here it is. Yeah, I can see it. Let's see. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. kind of crust punk. Um, they can carry a lot of things. It's just kind of a fun engineering, like weld it together and see what you can come up with. Yeah. So it's not, it just has two sets of wheels, but it does have two frames. Is it hard to ride? Have you ever ridden one, Marley? I've tried to, and Uh, it was not easy for me to get up onto it. Yeah. 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 And also the the higher you are, the harder you fall, right? Exactly. (laughs) And honestly, that was my concern. It was like, I could probably get on, I could probably ride around, but how do I get off of this thing without like hurting my knee that's already challenged, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, that's a great segue because I want to shift a little bit to just talking about the basics of cycling. I know, you know, we have a lot of women in our community who love to move, right? And running is yeah. obviously their main passion, but sometimes injuries or switching things up, they want to they wanna become cyclists, but um, there are a lot of barriers, as you well know. So let's just talk first, and this is might be, again, these are hard questions, I realize, but I hope you've been <laughs> asked them before. Let's talk about finding a bike shop that won't make you feel either totally intimidated or like a poser. Like, yeah. I, am, I mean, I am, I have an athletic build. I go into a bike shop and I feel like, I just feel like an idiot, to be honest with you. I feel, you know, and I, and I mean, I went in, I was telling Sarah about this before we got on with you. I went in to buy a, a, a specialized helmet that was not cheap. It was probably, you know, $150 or something like that to replace my helmet. And like, I knew what I wanted and like no greeting, no nothing. I was the only one in the store, you know, and I just really felt it's, it's really awful. I, I hate, I hate it and I hope that you can change it. So, <laughs> so tell us first of all, how you can find a store that's friendly to people that, Oh my gosh. New. I, I hope so. I hope I can change it too. Yeah. You know, the, I unfortunately don't have like a magic wand I can wave and just say this shop, this shop, this shop. Um, yeah. I tend to rely on personal recommendations from folks. Yeah. So if you've got friends that you trust um, or going in with somebody who knows what 
that I might be talking about a little bit and can help you navigate those conversations. But also like not giving my money to shops that won't give me the time of day. You know, if I walk in and there's no greeting, you know, I can understand if they're super busy, but at least like a, hey, we'll be with you in a second. Yeah. I tend to go for women-owned shops or, you know, shops owned by marginalized folks, whether they're queer or people of color. I just think there's a different level of empathy there. And then I'll do a little bit of research beforehand, you know, going online to their website or their Instagram and trying to get a feel of the vibe of the shop. You know, if they're really focused on racing or going fast and I'm looking for more of a recreational bike to ride with my kids to school, I don't have kids, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, That might not be the right shop for me. So I think just, you know, doing a little bit of research there, sometimes, especially for folks in bigger bodies, I recommend doing a bunch of research on your own, you know, thinking about what kind of bike you want, going in ready to test ride. Because I think if you go in, kind of arm yourself with, well, I want a bike that can go on trails and can carry, you know, bike campaign equipment, whatever, they're going to help direct you better. Because I I don't think it comes from malice. I think that the core of the issue is bike shop employees are often minimum wage folks who love bikes and that's what they, you know, that's why they're there. But they're just simply not being paid enough to care as much as that sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go back a little bit. So, I mean, I mean, I was just thinking as I asked the question, I mean, so gear is one, I mean, clothing, right? Making sure that like, so if if somebody, what are some brands that are doing bigger size clothing better Um, now? I'd say Pearl Zumi and I have to be upfront with that. I am sponsored by them, but I work with them because they make almost everything up to a true 3X, which is about a 2022. So still not as big as I would like it to be, um, but doing okay. Shredley is another great brand. They make up to a size 24 and their stuff is more kind of casual, cute, mountain bikey. They've got some rompers. They've got a a lot of fun patterns. I wish there were more. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just <laughs> wondering, like, if I went on their website, would they, if, if, if so, if Pearl Azumi, you know, has some great shorts in a 3X, I mean, if I go on their website, will they say what, what stores carry them? Or is that usually an online purchase? It's usually an online purchase. Okay. And that's another thing that we're trying to do with retailers is get them to at least carry a couple of each size so people can try them on. Um, yeah. Because it's so frustrating to buy things and then have to send them back because they don't fit. REI is also doing a great job. They have made a huge commitment with all of their brands that they have to carry more inclusive sizing. And that extends to their in-house brand as well. And they've got a lot of cycling stuff. So, you know, you can ride your bike in anything. You're going to be more comfortable if you've got bike shorts on with a padding. You know, it's called a chamois. But don't let not having the clothes hold you back. I've ridden in dresses and leggings and all sorts of things. And for me, it's just joyful to be outside. And when you said rompers, I was like, you could ride a bike in a romper. But oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as we mentioned, you have 11 chapters, but there could be, you know, people out there who don't live within the area of those chapters. So how do you recommend that they find a group to ride with if they can't access all bodies on bikes? Well, ideally, we'll have a chapter for them soon. Uh, we are being kind of particular about opening new ones because we want folks to have a really good experience. Um, But I would say, you know, using social media to find groups. There's this amazing group called Radical Adventure Riders who has, I don't even know how many chapters, maybe 15. And they lead a lot of inclusive rides. A lot of times places will have bike co-ops or just kind of underground, not I don't want to say underground, but smaller groups that will do inclusive rides. And there's a lot of power in just kind of searching through Instagram or Facebook and, you know, calling shops and saying, hey, do you have any rides that you'd recommend for me? Or just, you know, if you see a group of people out on a ride asking them, hey, are you a group ride? Can I join you guys? And oftentimes they'll be like, yeah, you know, we meet on Tuesdays at this place at this time. Again, I wish I had a magic wand I could wave, but it's a lot of just searching and figuring out because all of these are run by volunteers. So sometimes, you know, they'll be real strong and then they peter off and it's like, oh, what happened to them? And it's like, well, people got busy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. I just did a, uh, I just heard about a new organization here in Denver. And of course I'm blanking on the name, but the the guy who gives me massages <laughs> helps me with my like uh, knee problems. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's taking a mechanic course there because yeah. he wants to be able to do some bike packing and he wants to be able to be self-sufficient. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it sounded like, you know, it's a community-based 
organization where you kind of pay what you can. And, and I was like, wow, like you said, I, you know, I, you just have to kind of be good at Googling and really, because I think it's easy to find the, again, the people that dress in matching kits and whiz by you, like you're standing still. And that's, I mean, that good for them. I'm not, you know, talking them down, but that's not the majority of us. Exactly. And they know the ones that are going to come up first in the search engines, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, you made a great point there. Community bike shops are an amazing place to start. And I was just kind of racking my brain and almost every city I can think of has one. And they typically will do some sort of group ride or they'll have folks that are like, yeah, we get together and ride nothing formal or whatever it might be. So just looking for those nonprofit bike shops mm-hmm. is a really, really great place to get started. Often with also finding an affordable bike. That's another, we haven't talked about it, but yeah. barrier entry. Um, so many bike companies are focused on stronger, lighter, faster, which translates to thousands of dollars for a bicycle. And I remember my very first bike cost me $400 as an adult, which I thought was an absurd amount of money to spend. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really sensitive to recommending bikes to folks, but there's ways to do it on a budget, you know, getting an old 80s or 90s mountain bike frame, putting some strong wheels on there. There's definitely ways to access it without blowing your entire budget. Yeah. Do you have other ideas? I mean, like, again, if if this is somebody listening and they're like, okay, I want to, I want to be, I want to be a cyclist, right? Whether I want to like commute to work or use it as a workout or whatever. I mean, what are some other ideas for looking for a bike that would be good for them? If you're lucky enough to live in a place that has bike share, starting with that, you know, the bikes that you can rent from the kiosks and riding those. Like the line bikes kind of thing? Yeah, line bikes or city okay. bike in New York or like B-Cycle. I'm totally forgetting where B-Cycle is at. But that's an amazing place to start because then you'll kind of, you know, start looking around and see people's bikes. There's a lot of cheaper e-bike options out there that offer financing options. I would warn you, you do get what you pay for with those. Yeah. So sometimes it can be better to spend a little bit more. Gosh, Craigslist, you know, be careful you're not buying a stolen bike. Facebook Marketplace is amazing. And then just keeping an eye out at bike shops and chatting with them. Oftentimes at the end of quote unquote bike season, if a shop has a rental fleet, they will sell that. And that can be a cheap way to get into a bicycle. And yeah, I think just being really honest with your bike shop about what your budget is and they might know folks that are selling them. Um, I just think there's so much power in transparency with that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I, I also want to shout out, you You talked about REI earlier and I do feel like they are a great place. Again, if they, the, the intimidation factor is a little bit lower there for me for whatever reason, maybe because it's just a multitasking store, you know. Um, <laughs> in so and, many ways. Yeah, in so many ways. And um, and they have Navarro, I think, is their in-house line. And I mean, they're still, it's not 20 bucks for a bike, but it's really good quality for a pr- pretty affordable price if you're going to invest in it. Yeah. And they even have their own line of bikes now. They have their co-op bikes. Oh, it's um, a different that- one. Okay. Well, they might still have the Navarro clo- clothing, right? I'm not entirely sure. I know things change all the sure, time with retailers. Course. Yeah. But they have actual bicycles now too that are great components. And I think if you're an REI member, you get flat changes for free, which is pretty oh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. That yeah. Is cool. yeah. Not an REI commercial, but they are. A great <laughs> <resource>. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's it's great. It's great. And that's where, I, like I was going to say, we got a great bike for my daughter that's lasted forever on that, you know, and she loves it. And it's just a little beach cruiser kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's great. And that's the other thing is like, I think in our throwaway culture, when a tire goes flat or something breaks on our bike, our first impulse is, well, I need a new bike. Or, you know, if your bike's not comfortable for whatever reason, almost every component on a bicycle can be swapped out, whether for comfort or for aesthetic reasons or because it breaks. So just because something is going wrong with it doesn't mean you have to get a brand new bicycle. Like you can change out literally everything from the seat to the pedals to the handlebars, tires, wheels, literally everything except for the frame itself. You mm-hmm. can't change that, obviously. But <laughs> you can put one on top of the other, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can do that. Yeah, and you can always Great. put stickers on there if you really hate the way it looks. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. yeah they have wraps, and you can like do a lot of different color changes with your frame. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this is a big concern too: safety. Yeah, Demi and I have talked about this. We do feel unsafe a lot when we're out in the roads, even when there are bike lanes. So. What encouragement can you give to all cyclists, not just new cyclists, about staying safe, being safe, and encouraging us to get out there on the roads? 
Yes. Oh, be seen. I used to loathe high visibility clothing. And I know that this isn't the end all be all because people are so distracted with cell phones and cars. Um, but having bright or reflective clothing is going to help you be seen. But then my biggest recommendation is to take a smart cycling class. So the League of American Bicyclists offer this, and it's all about, you know, how to position yourself in traffic, how to, you know, navigate tricky intersections. Because let's be honest, the infrastructure isn't often built for cyclists. And even sometimes when it is, it can be like, wait, where am I supposed to go? How do I turn? What's going on? So yeah, if you look up the League of American Bicyclists, they offer classes all over the country, um, usually pretty cheap. And I took it a couple of years ago after I'd been riding for six or seven years, and I learned so much, you know, how to start and stop on hills, how to uh, ride safely in a group, just all sorts of little things that can feel really intimidating. So take a class. It's worth it. And that was an in-person class? Yes, it was. Yeah, you bring your bike and you work together and they you practice different things and you demo things. And they do have online versions for like the first part of it. And then you'll get together in person as well. Love that. That's such a great idea. I've never heard of that, Marley. You are going to just wave your magic wand all over. And uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, the, the roads are going to be safe. The clothes are all going to fit us. The bikes are going to be what we need. Oh, um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with it. Thank you. We really appreciate the hard work that you are doing. And it is super important in many respects. So uh, hopefully people are going to tune into your podcast, All Bodies on Bikes. And like, I mentioned they are now a nonprofit. So if that's a if it's a cause that you want to donate to, we'll have the link in our show notes. Yes, thank you. Anything else you want to add, Marley, um, as we kind of forge forward, especially heading into summer and it's kind of biking season? Um, you know, find whatever's joyful to you, whether that's running or biking or going really fast. You know, I think what you guys said, movement is medicine, movement is joy. So I hope everybody can find something that makes them feel some joy. Thanks, Marley. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure talking. Same here. So if you are an indie, that is Indianapolis, at the end of October, we would love to see you join our Better Together program. October 28th is the Indianapolis Half Marathon and Marathon. And we are doing this program, like I said, called Better Together. It's a unique program where we pair experienced runners with runners who are taking on either the half or the full marathon for the first time or the first in a long time. We can be flexible about that. We'll have mentors. We'll have protégés. We'll have coaches, Amy and Jess. There's a very cute shirt. There's sports psychology. There's sports nutrition. We've got you covered, honestly, from the first step to the finish line. So check it out if this is something that is intriguing to you. We'll have a link in the show notes for you. Today's podcast was produced by Barry Medora of Fire on the Bluff in St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome to Nourished on the Run, a nugget of a podcast with me, Dimity McDowell, and dietitian Ellie Kempton. Many of you already know Ellie from her nutrition programs in the Train Like a Mother Club, but in case you don't, don't, that was very Minnesotan, um, Ellie, give us a little glimpse into your background and perspective. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. This is such a fun opportunity to dig into these nuggets. I love to say I'm in the business of just putting women back in relationship with their body. I love that. And the most important thing for me is I just love to make everything approachable. Nutrition is this big rubber band ball. And my favorite thing is to pull up a chair beside me and help the woman sitting beside me just walk through their day with palatable habits that are so aligned with their needs that are unmet. And I just love this idea that I could make very complex issues like hormone imbalance and gut issues and, you know, adrenal fatigue and all of these different concepts that are bouncing around in the wellness ethosphere and just take them back to the basics and really identify what it is that, that the body needs every day so that I can empower women to continue what I teach really for the rest of their lives on their own. I love it. I love it. So the rubber band ball, that's what you're like, that's the adrenal fatigue. That's the hormone imbalance. That's what you're kind of slowly peeling away rubber band by rubber band. Is that, yes. is that, the, is that the visual we're seeing there? I love that visual because I think the more we tune into just any social media platform or any wellness initiative, I think we get more information, making the issue feel more complex. 
facts. Um, and a lot of the complexity comes from also disassociating with symptoms that our bodies are giving us on the daily. I like to call symptoms little blinking lights on our body's dashboard. And I love to really call out that blinking light. We're going to call out one today, but really put women back in touch with those blinking lights and then make the approach much more precise and streamlined and just the simple rituals and habits daily that give the body information it understands and it needs to heal itself. I love it. I love it. So this little nugget of a podcast, it's going to be called, again, Nourished on the Run. We're going to add it to the first Many Happy Miles podcast of the month. So look for it and let us know on social media if you enjoy it. And if you have any topics you want us to cover, we'd love to hear that as well. Um, and we are going to dive right into our first nugget, our first, we're going to unpeel our first couple rubber bands here. I love it. AMR is known for talking about TMI. So we are diving right into it today, right into the toilet bowl, in fact. And we are going <laughs> to yes. talk about poop. Yes. How often you should go, what influences your regularity, and how to get things moving. It's a much more complex and really quite important topic, Ellie, than yeah. I thought. I mean, I just kind of thought like it's waste going out of the body. Okay, maybe it doesn't go Maybe the garbage pickup doesn't come, you know, every Wednesday like it's supposed yeah. to. But I mean, tell me about why pooping is so important. Yeah. Well, our gut is one of the biggest funnels of detoxification. So this is where you're going to touch on some of my geeky background in biochemistry. But when you look at one of the most powerful ways to release the body of metabolic waste, it's stool. We can sweat and we breathe, but really the bowel movement is the most impactful way to make that release happen. So when I'm working with a client and I'm working on what they're putting in their bodies, I will often pause before we get carried away with the perfect plate, which I never get too adamant about that anyway, but I try not to perfect the inputs before I make sure the outputs are happening. So really it's easier than ever to normalize uh, stagnant bowel movements or maybe spotty bowel movements. You, ha you have one or two one day and none the next. That's so easy to normalize until you start to feel it come on in other ways and manifest toxicity in bloat and gas and fatigue. This starts to work its way up into your brain because you are quite literally recycling toxins when you don't have consistent bowel movements. So it's a question that you are probably asked. I think it's maybe question three in my intake forms is how often do you poop? Yeah. Because yeah. Well, don't, don't steal my thunder here, Ellie. <laughs> Sorry, Timothy. <laughs> um, well, so yeah. So I mean, how many times are we looking to poop every day? Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's something that I never ever hear actually broadcasted. And I'm curious. I'm going to ask you a question back. I'm going to break all of the rules today. What would you, before you sat beside me for the last few years, what would you say would be your wildest guest at, at normal? I mean, I would say once, right? Yeah. I thought you were going to ask me how many times I'm pooping a day. So thank no. you for, um, for not doing that because um, well, we might, we might even get into that, but, um, but just, I would say once usually, yeah. I mean, I, I usually find that people, my experience is that people go in the morning once. Mm-hmm. Is that, is, I, I'm, I'm feeling like uh, a little hesitation from you. Like I'm not getting applause for the right answer. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a pregnant pause over here, but okay. hold on. Would you have been upset or worried if you had gone a day or two without a bowel movement? Is that something that would have crossed your radar before a pre, pre, pre I mean, no, probably yeah. not. And it probably yeah. wouldn't have, I, cause I, I wouldn't have been paying as much attention quite, yeah. quite quite frankly, you know? Absolutely. And that is actually the biggest thing is we just kind of, it happens or it doesn't, but it's not something that, you know, we're, we're really tuned into. And that's what I find. That is exactly the mentality that I see. And it's so common. So if you're sitting here listening and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like I could take it or leave it. But what I actually feel in my body is that bloat belly, the persistent gas, but really the fatigue. And so maybe that's even what you want to start tuning into. If you're only having one bowel movement a day or one every other day, the ideal is that we're having one to three a day. And that's a big deal. Three, up to three. It is a, a big deal. Well, and let's, I mean, let's go back here for one second before we get into the numbers, because let's define what a bowel movement is. Because I mean, yeah. you know, 
I, I call them rabbit pellets, you know, I, that's like it without getting, but there are times where like I go to go to the bathroom and I get little droplets, right? Yeah. Like that's not really, that doesn't really feel like a bowel movement to me. It feels like, yeah. you know, a sprinkle when I need a, a thunderbolt, right? I mean, let's be honest, you know? Yes. Yes. And I'm glad that we're talking about this. I think Oprah started talking about this maybe seven or 10. I actually remember that, that in my notes. Yes. I remember she had Dr. Oz talking about yeah. what it was to look like. <laughs> yes. And then all of a sudden my clients felt absolutely fine looking at their poop. And I was like, Oh, thank heavens for Oprah. But yeah. yes, looking at the shape, the size, the bulk, all of that is telling you how adequately your body is detoxifying itself. So what you were describing to me is what's called a type one on this geeky chart that dietitians use. It's called the Bristol stool chart. And rabbit pellets, they're information back to you. Typically, they could be um, poor hydration status. It could also be just a lack of fiber in your meals. But okay. mostly, it's a bottleneck in the system. It's almost like yeah. your body's trying to release, but there is a, a bit of stagnation there. And so a type 1 is something I'm really tuning into. And a type 1 is going to typically correlate with days without bowel movements. Whereas on the other side of the spectrum, we don't want to see three or more bowel movements that are not even formed. Loose stool is not what we're aiming for either. We're looking for, and I think, what did Oprah say on her show? I think she said, you want to see like a soft smiley face or something where it's, you know, like <laughs> very well formed. Yeah. I like that. I've also heard it described as a snake, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's got a little, yeah, a little softness to it. Agreed. Exactly. You want to see that there's no food in it, that there's clean edges, not torn edges. You don't want to see just, um, you also don't want to see that the stool is floating. That could be a sign you're not digesting fat well, you basically just want to see baby poop. I mean, that's really what you're looking for. Poop that is fully a reflection that you have metabolized your food well, and you're releasing what your body can no longer use. So I'd say step one is exactly what you're already doing, Dimity. You're nailing it. It's just looking at your poop. Let Oprah be the guide on that one and just maybe seeing the pattern for right now. Okay. Well, so you talked about some symptoms of constipation. If you maybe are not, if you haven't been paying attention, you talked about bloat, gas, fatigue, you know, and brain fog, where you talk a little bit about how the gut and the brain are really the same thing. I mean, yeah. not the same thing, of course, but they are very attached to each other, right? Yeah. The information that's being registered in the gut is relaying itself back up into the brain. And that could be you know, even nutrients, like anytime you eat and your microbiome is extracting yummy nutrients, that is all being shuttled into brain function. And so anytime that there's a recycling of waste, that is going to eventually make its way into your cognition. And so when clients come to me and they just feel like they are cloudy, they're not thinking clearly and they're forgetting things. There's a lot there, but I just start with the lowest hanging fruit, which is, is your gut releasing metabolic waste? And I think it's so in vogue to say, are you detoxing? But you don't have to do anything drastic or any two-week purge to detox. If you are pooping one to three times a day, you are detoxing every single day. I love it. We could, we could all be influencers, right? When we have regularity. Right? <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about the causes. You, When I was talking about my situation, mm -hmm. you talked about poor hydration, maybe fiber. Um, what are some other things that influence how often we go? Yeah. Well, I'd say the one that I think is maybe the biggest, the most encompassing is our exposure to chronic and persistent stress, mostly because that just, that puts the, the gut in a state of freeze. And, and it's rightfully so. At, at the end of the day, if, if our body perceives constant threat, the, the accessory organ system is digestion. You don't want to poop your pants while you're running from a bear. So, you know, there is slower motility when you're under chronic stress. And so huh. if I were hearing that, I would actually be stressed by that. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, that's just something I There's can't. There's another thing else. I know. Right. So. Again, if you go back to my premise of and foundational approach to nutrition, I think what's one really palatable thing I could do? And I would say the thing that I'm practicing, and I'd empower everyone listening to practice beside me, 
would be to just sit down when you eat. Like just tell your body for maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds, that everything's okay before you eat. And that's just you telling your body there's nothing to run from. I'm actually just, you know, a happy zebra chewing grass on in, in the Serengeti. In the Serengeti. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And um, there's no lions around me right now. So I'll just enjoy my grass right now. And that type of mentality before mealtime is more impactful than any digestive enzyme, than any multivitamin, because what you're going to do is you're going to actually fully digest your food if you're eating unstressed. So maybe just start there. How approachable does that feel to you, Jimity? That feels super approachable. And I really like that idea because it is something that, I mean, I like it also because it leads into other behavior, which is slowing down a little bit, yeah. which is stuff that just chronic, it does reduce that chronic stress. Yeah. A similar one that is also costs absolutely nothing and is really all you, you do it anyway is breathe, right? You want to talk yeah. a little bit about some breathing exercises and when you think that they're most efficient, effective, I guess. Well, I'd actually pair your breathing exercises with mealtime. Maybe that is the anchor is that you choosing to slow down before meals, that choice is reflected by a deep, yummy belly breath where you just allow the belly to expand. We rarely let our bellies expand. We're always, you know, in tight running pants and, you know, always kind of have our, our bellies constricted, um, sure. whether we feel like it or not, we are unconsciously doing that. And so at mealtime, I would say, let that be the first time you practice just deep, expansive breaths that in and of itself might actually heavily impact bowel movements. You might see you have more because your gut is more relaxed. There's more movement there, but then something you might consider too is pairing that with right before bed. Because at night is when our body really fully finishes off the metabolization of what you ate and it really collects all the waste to release tomorrow. So we wanna work our way towards a place where your gut is feeling nice and safe before you go to bed. This also is something we talk all the time about with sleep too, so it covers so many bases. But I'd say allow yourself to make breath be the catalyst to that space where you feel just safe for a few minutes. And I usually like to, as dorky as this sounds, but I'm actually doing it right now. I think it's just so lovely is I'll put my hand on my belly. And mm -hmm. when I breathe and have my hand on my belly, I typically breathe deeper because I'm feeling my hand move. So you could start there. Nothing has to be fancy. You don't have to have anything guide you through it. Start there. And almost like a little scientist going through your day, just notice, take notes on what impact that free little nugget of a habit. Notice what impact it has on your, on your bowel movements right there. I love it. I love it. Well, and so if someone does that and they are like, okay, I like this, but I'm going to need a little bit more assistance. What yeah. are some things that you recommend as far as whether it's supplements, more water, different yeah. kind of food? Can you kind of talk about some things that you might find in the kitchen? Yeah. So we talked about what to do to prep your body to start collecting metabolic waste while you sleep. What you can do to kickstart the release of it upon waking is hydration. Literally clean hydration upon waking is going to be the catalyst to that release. And I love just because I can't help it. I love to, you know, pair things whenever possible. I love to put in that, that hydration, whatever I, I like, just clean water putting some, some citrus in there to just kickstart your digestion. Because what citrus does is it tells the body when you taste that sour, bitter flavor, it could be lemon, it could be lime, it could be grapefruit. You could go pro and do apple cider vinegar. That sour, bitter flavor tells your digestive system to flip on and start producing more digestive enzymes. Because one of the other causes of constipation is poor output of digestive enzymes. You're just, you're flipping the switch on. You might notice that you start having bowel movements first thing in the morning when you wake up to that warm water. It could be warm, it could be cold, whatever you want. I like warm okay. just because it's nurturing, but notice that and see not only if you like the impact on your gut, but it might also just be a nice ritual to start off your day, right? Like when I don't drink water when I first wake up, I kind of forget to until it's like mid-afternoon. 
Agreed. Agreed. And then you mentioned fiber earlier, Mm -hmm. and I know everyone kind of puts fiber with regularity, you know, they Mm -hmm. get a little Metamucil connection going there. So you want to talk a little bit about how to increase your fiber, like best practices, if someone's curious. Yeah, approachable. So if you're, if you really resonated with what Dimity was saying, and you feel like bulk is kind of something you is that's hit or miss with bowel movements for you. And it's, um, it's something that you feel like in general, just your, your fiber consumption might be low, which I'd say most, most of us, it's, unless you're thinking about it, it's probably low. My favorite way to address this is to play with plants every day. And by play, I mean, make it a game, maybe with your kids, maybe just you and a checklist. Um, (laughs) the best kind of playing. I love it. Exactly. I know. I think everyone's fist bumping right now. I think it's really fun to playfully make it a game to hit five different plants a day. Doesn't matter how many for right now. It's just, did you try on and did you enjoy and did you taste test five different plants? And a plant could be anything that is not an animal and also ideally not in a package, right? So maybe you had, I don't know, let's say you just had like a nice sandwich that had some lettuce and tomato in it. There's two right there. Then later in the day you had, oh, what would be like something that's just simple where there's even herbs on top or, oh, I'm thinking of like a pesto pasta. That's, okay. my gosh, basils, there's three right there. And then usually there's a nut or a seed in a pos- in a pesto. So there's four. It's going to be easier than you think. So get really consistent about the five because what that's going to do is it's going to feed that cute little microbiome of yours. And when they start eating on that fiber, they become more active. So that in and of itself is going to promote bowel movements. But then when you get comfortable with five, you can start prioritizing a bit more volume with those five. It's like, oh, okay, I had some lettuce on my sandwich, but what if I had a little side salad with that? And then you're thinking, oh, I had pesto with my pasta, but what if I had like, what if I mixed my noodles with some zoodles? You start to get really creative. And before you know it, it's not just five little bites. It's kind of maybe five with a little more bulk. And you will see that very tangibly. It's one for one with with stool. When you start bulking up your plants and diversifying them, you start bulking up your stool. And I just want to clarify here, plants, I know for me, I think I my, my mind just goes to salad. Like, I don't know, because mm-hmm. green, leafy, I don't know, plant. But I mean, you, you made it very clear, like it's rice, it's seeds, it's mm-hmm. nuts, it's, you know, fruit, vegetables. I mean, there's more than just totally grains, right? Grains, not just rice, but yeah. So I yeah. guess I just wanted to make that clear because I think like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of salad. <laughs> yeah. I would feel so overwhelmed if I needed to have five different plants, you know, in, in salad form every day, that would just be a job. Whereas now it's a game because you have so many different tools and it's almost like you're an artist and you're picking up a bunch of different colors. Now I will say, and this is where I become a bit of a stickler that the plants that count are the ones that didn't come straight from a package would be my ideal. Now that's maybe we'll say that's going pro move, but that'll make it, I'd say even more of you being an artist, because typically plants that don't come out of a package are more colorful. And on the gut front, they typically have a ton more fiber. As soon as plants hit a package, it's kind of when they're stripped of all their goodies. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And then if we do need to hit the supplement aisle at our natural grocers or Whole Foods or wherever we're going, what are like one or two things that might help, again, help the situation? Totally. So here's the number one thing that I will make very clear in any, any teaching scenario I, I get around gut and any type of GI issues, but also I think just extends out into many facets of life is that we are typically, I'd say 80% of us are magnesium deficient. So the number one thing to consider repleting, and unfortunately, I'm not a pessimist, but unfortunately, we rarely get this through food because it is so, it's not only a fragile nutrient, but our soil is very deficient in this nutrient. And what magnesium does is it just starts to create a little bit more motility in the lining of the gut, which is just almost like 
It's a relaxing agent so that that rigidity that we feel from chronic stress starts to dissipate. And there's many different types of magnesium. Um, and I, I love all magnesium. I really do. But if you're going to hit the supplement aisle, I'd say if you're constipated, you should try and for size magnesium citrate just to start. And that's very, uh, it's very popular. There's a popular powder called Calm. And a lot of people love that, not only because it's very calming to the brain, it's very nurturing to our nervous system, but it also induces bowel movements. If you're not constipated and you just are like, you know what, I just need a little more relaxation and I really want to even just optimize my gut function, I would do what's called magnesium glycinate. And wherever you start, just notice what you feel. Allow yourself to just, again, be that little experimenter of one and take notes on what happens when you start taking magnesium. I would encourage you to take it at night just because it is very relaxing. It's not going to be a sedative, but it takes a little bit of the, the edge off and enables you to experience maybe deeper sleep. Obviously, this is something that, you know, if you're on any type of prescription, you'd want to talk to your doctor and make sure that magnesium is compatible because like anything, it's, you know, it's a nutrient and it's isolated and you want to just, you want to double check. But I will say that if the situation allows, I will, I will highly recommend that you replete your magnesium stores. You will feel it very quickly. It doesn't take a while. Right. Agreed. I'm a huge fan of calm and glycinate. Sometimes I do yeah. combo. <laughs> so, look at you, look magnesium at connoisseur. <laughs> I am a pro. I am a pro. Well, I this was that. super helpful, Ellie. I love our first nourished on the run. And um, hopefully it has you running to the bathroom. That's kind of what we want. <laughs> so again, if this is something like you like a little nugget, we want to tackle just a little topic once a month. Like I said, we're going to be tacked onto the first Many Happy Miles podcast every month. Let us know. We love any kind of feedback you have. Thank you, Ellie, for your oh. expertise as always, and have a great day. Thank you. So fun. 